This week's episode of the Vel News Podcast is brought to you by our good friends with Health IQ, the life insurance company that caters to cyclists, runners, healthy people of all walks of life. Spencer, you raced your bike the other week, didn't you? What, what, what was going on there? Yep, hopped in a cross race a few weeks ago, but uh, no racing this past weekend, unfortunately. So that's not gonna that's not gonna help me out with my health IQ uh, quote. Are you done racing for the season? No, I'm not. It's just you sent me to the Derby City Cup in Louisville, and I was too busy covering cross racing and running around in the fields to to, to right. do my own ride. Tell you what, after your next race. Take a picture of your result or a screenshot, go to Health IQ's website, submit it, and you can get a great quote on life insurance. They have a URL built specifically for listeners of the Velonews Podcast. Spencer, what's that uh, URL? It's healthiq.com slash Velonews. You can head there, get that free quote, and just uh, keep riding. All right. Well, we thank Health IQ, and let's get on to the show. You're tuned into the Valenys Podcast. I'm Fred Dreyer. I'm looking uh, through the computer at Andrew Hood. Got a hat on. Looks like a little chilly there in Spain. Winter has arrived, boys. Winter has arrived in Europe. And I'm here with Spencer Paulison. And winter has arrived to the wonderful uh, liberal enclave here at Boulder, Colorado. It snowed last night, Spencer. I went out to my car this morning, had to chip ice off of it. It was a little salty. People were driving like wackadoos. I live kind of far away from the Vela News uh, World Headquarters here in Boulder. I had to drive in. I'm kind of pouty today. I don't know. Are, are you are you pouty on this cold, dreary day? Uh, it's definitely really snowy, so pretty unlikely to get a ride in. You saw some dogs walking around with their sustainably sourced, mm-hmm. uh, cruelty-free goose down jackets. You know, their puffy jackets. It's good stuff. Official uniform. Boulder here. Uh, I I don't mind it. I like the snow once in a while. Could be worse. Do you go ride in the snow or are you like an indoor trainer person? I do neither. Mm. Those days are behind me. Mm. If I, if it's not comfortable to ride, I'll just pass. Get the rest. Wow. Look at you. Uh, I uh, catch up on Netflix. Maybe I go jog. I go jog sometimes as we all know, jogging, jogging is bad for you. Don't do it. Um, sometimes I'll ride indoors though and watch Netflix right now I'm just burning through arrested development for the umpteenth time. Anyway, no one wants to hear about this because it is it's kind of the doldrums of the cycling season. We got cyclocross going on, we have team camps, and on this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about team camps. Hoodie, you went to the Movistar team camp. Where was this team camp? It was in a little small village in the outskirts of Pamplona. That's where Azubio uh, Unzue uh, the team manager, he's been based in Pamplona since back in the 70s. It's an annual team get-together every year. They're there for about five or six days. They bring in all the new riders. They have their real first serious chats about uh, where everyone's going to be racing uh, in terms of the calendars for the coming up season. And, of course, the big takeaway there, the big story of the week was the arrival of Mika Landa. Mm. So we'll be talking about that, yeah. God, that sounds nice. I kind of wish I was in Pamplona, Spain right now, just like sipping some wine, looking over uh, sunset, you know, eating some eating some small plates. I hear that the Movistar team is very bullish about their chances for 2018. Oh, good one, Spencer. I try. 
we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the role of these team camps, these November, December, late season team camps. Uh, they're kind of a new phenomenon here in the world of World Tour Cycling. And uh, before we get to that, though, we have news to get to because it's cycling. It's a year-round sport. The sport never sleeps. Um, first on our rundown here, we had the final round of the Showair U.S. Cup of Cyclocross held out in Louisville, Kentucky. And Louisville. 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 And Spencer, I sent you out to Louisville. You did. For the final round. And also, we should say the Continental Championships. That's right. Uh, that was Sunday. The, yeah. Um, the Pan American Championships. Pan American Championships. And before we get to the racing action, I need to ask you, did you see Papa John? I did not. No, uh, I saw a big building, Papa John's building. Yeah. I saw a lot of Kentucky Fried Chicken uh, offices. Papa John's is everywhere in Louisville. They sponsor like the local AAA baseball team, all the sports teams, all the buildings are emblazoned with Papa John's. In fact, I think Papa John may be like more powerful than the mayor. Hmm. This is a rumor. Uh, when I went out there He's for a race... He's a pizza baron. He is. I went out there for a race back in 2007, was walking around the cyclocross course, and just ran into him. He was just hanging out at the cross race. Noted cycling friend, Papa. He Jack. does ride bikes, yeah. yeah. He's into it. So let's get into the racing. Um, Stephen Hyde, the man who had a bit of a slow start to the season, he won both days. Spencer, what can you tell, about, tell me about these victories? Yeah, Hyde looked really good. He was... Off the front, winning solo both days. The the first day, um, I it's funny because the first day you have the under twenty three riders in the elite field. So, in some ways, it's almost perhaps a more competitive race, or I'd say a deeper field for the Continental Championships. Those under twenty three riders were in their own category, racing under twenty three for the under twenty three title. And um, so, yeah, both days hide off the front solo the the second day especially was is very convincing and you know sometimes we talk about how riders just are, are riding for second place well it, it was really quite evident that, that was what was happening when torben excuse me when tobin ortenblad and um, michael vandenham just were chasing him for the final three three laps and the gap went out by a huge margin and even those two guys admitted that that it was they weren't even racing for the win by that point what do you think it is? Is it the course? Was it the mud? Is Hyde just on another level right now? I mean, I was at the opening round of this race, and Hyde was very much in the bunch. Now he's just uh, now he's just throwing it down. What what do you think's going on? Yeah, you know, I don't think um, the course in the, the it wasn't actually very muddy the second day, um, and I don't think the course was hard and was a lot of climbing. So of course, it, you can't hide as much on a course like that. Hide, get it? Ha <laughs> <laughs> um, It's a it's a matter of timing for him where he had a pretty significant illness leading into the beginning of the season. He told me he couldn't get in any intensity in until like the week before Rochester or something. So he was on the back foot for the month of September, essentially. And then, and then he came around in October and now I think he's really, uh, harvesting the fruits of his labors here as we get into November, December. And, uh, some of it's a timing thing. And, um, you know, that all those guys in that elite field are extremely strong. And if you aren't, at 100%, you're still going to have a, have a tough time, even if you are the reigning national champion. So he's harvesting the fruits of his labor in a big way because he got a big fat novelty check with 12,000, five or 12, yeah, 12,000, 12,500, 500 bucks. A lot of money, man. I want 12,500. And that was for the U S cup CX series. Gosh. He won the whole series. It's uh four weekends. And like, like we said, we covered them all. Do you know how many Chipotle burritos that is? 
Um, I don't either, but I would spend a lot of that on Chipotle. Well, if you did that, then you probably wouldn't be a very good cross-racer. I'd spend half of it on Chipotle, the other half on the medical bills. Yeah, see, there you go. What did you get to talk to Stephen? What does he yes. plan to spend all that money on? I I didn't ask him that specifically, but um, I, I know that uh, Katie Keogh, who won the women's series, was saying that she and her husband Jake Keogh are uh, they're planning on really building out their garage, getting it all dialed in as both their they're both obviously top cyclists, and they need they need that garage dialed if they got all those bikes and got to work mm. on them and keep them together. It's so working on that garage with the prize money. So equal the, equal money too equal for the women. Money. It was good. By and, the way, you know they were able to really boost the prize purse to pay three deep in the men's and women's because they had a crowdfunding uh, campaign and then show air owner Scott Tedrow kicked in I think 7,500 bucks I mean he kicked in a big chunk to pay for it so um, in the women's series Katie Keogh won the series but she was second place both days because Katie Compton came back from her European campaign to race both days, and uh, you know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about how this might be the se- the season that Katie Keogh and uh, Ellen Noble and some of the other women have caught up to Katie Compton. I don't know. What's your assessment? What did you What did you see? Well, for starters, it's real easy for the fans because they just need to know one name if they're cheering. At least for the, the front riders, you know, early on, of course, other riders were mixing into that front group. But in a matter of like one lap, both days, give or take, uh, Katie and Katie were off the front together. Keo is, yeah, she can ride with Katie to a, to a certain level. Um, it was convincing wins both days by Compton Sunday. It looked to me like Keo had a greater chance of sticking with Compton. She made a pretty costly error on the course's most technical off-camber section. And after the race, Keo admitted to me that she truly needs an entirely flawless race if she's going to actually challenge Compton for a win in a big event like this. So, uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. January is still a ways away mm-hmm. in terms of national championship um, betting odds or whatever. But, uh, you know... Keo's still developing, and I think um, she's aware of that. And she said that pretty much she was satisfied with her race and knew it was the best she could do against Compton, who's on a tear, you know, coming off of a second-place Coppenberg Cross on Wednesday prior to that weekend. Yeah, all those offshore betting websites just going crazy with uh, Compton versus Keo. You <laughs> I know? guess, So yeah. get your bets in now, everyone, if you want to. Log in and put some money on the line. Just kidding. No one's betting on that. Um, I would bet you on that, though. It'd be a good battle. Yeah. So that's a, that's a story where we're looking for it. I mean, Hyde is he's going good. Uh, he's obviously going to be a, the front runner coming into U.S. Nationals. But Compton versus Keogh battle the Titans. Ugh. Uh, hopefully, it's competitive. Well, Katie Compton's going for what her like seventy fifth national championship in a row. Something like that? Well, it would be her 14th in a row. Winning since, like, the uh, Carter administration? She's been winning a long time. (laughs) Yeah. She really has. She's great. All right, moving on. Uh, Another news story that we had come down the pike this week. Uh, Brian Cookson, our outgoing UCI president. He's gone, right? He's gone. He's gone, gone, though. I emailed... Those elections, they just kick him right out the door, don't they, once they lose? The dust settles. It's just like, see you later, pal. No lame duck period. Uh, I interviewed him at the Tour de France. It seemed to me like he had no idea that he was going to get voted out, but uh, anyway, he's out. And he said that he is going to maybe possibly start a women's professional team for this coming year, 
which I think is great. He wants to put his money where his mouth is, as, as we all remember. He was very vocal about trying to grow uh, women's cycling when he was president. He launched the Women's World Tour. He had lots of conversations with people about things like uh, minimum wage and uh, standardizing wages on that end. But uh, he's going to get back involved in the sport. And Hoodie, you know, this is... We don't have a huge track record of seeing what former UCI presidents do once they are booted. I think we only have basically, what, two or three to go off of. But this is a, this is a little different guy getting uh, voted out and coming back to the sport in a different capacity. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, to me, it, it confirms that Cookson was a, an honest politician. I mean, he has to find a job, right? So he wasn't out there getting the payola. But he's... Um, it's 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 a, like you said, Fred, uh, put, putting his uh, money where his mouth is. He was a big backer of, of women's racing. I remember once when he first got elected, and I asked him, I said, Brian, you know, why are you so interested in promoting women's cycling? You know, what's what's the agenda? And he, in his little uh, school teacher uh, English accent, said, Well, it is half the world's population, Andrew. I'm like, Well, okay. So, but it's a great it's a great move to see Cookson. I think he, you know he he. Uh, he brought a lot of uh, a good positive stuff to the sport, and, and to have him still around, especially backing a women's team, I think it's I think it's uh, something good for the for the cycling uh, peloton. So, what do UCI presidents tend to do once they're out? I mean, we had Verbruggen, he left, and then we had uh, Pat McQuaid, he got he got booted out or voted out. I mean, what do these what do these guys do? I mean, I st- I saw Pat McQuaid at the Tour de France this year. They still come around bike races. Yeah, McQuaid uh, is still living in Switzerland, and I think he's starting a bike touring company and is involved in a few events. Semi-retired. Uh, he was eight years as the president of the UCI, worked his whole career, much for the UCI and doing other events after he was a racer. And then Verbruggen, I mean, he was the ultimate political animal. I mean, he made a big run to become the IOC president. It was really between him and, uh, sorry, I can't remember the guy's name that was became the UCI president or the IOC president back in the day and it really came down to uh, Dick Pound and Verbruggen having this really nasty behind the scenes paddle battle fight uh, a brawl really and uh, Verbruggen got got stopped and a lot of that was due to doping and cycling and it's back that was back in the uh, late 90s early 2000s and as a consolation prize he became the kind of UCI man in the ground for Beijing for the Chinese Olympics in 2008. So Verbruggen was a, a big player at the high level in politics. Probably the most political animal the sport's ever had at that level. It seems a little risky for elderly men like that to fight. Yeah, Cookson likes riding a bike, so maybe we could get him out there uh, doing some amateur racing going on in the future. Uh, all right, on to the next news piece. We have some rumors flying around about the Giro d'Italia. Whoosh, 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 rumors flying around uh, about course design. Now, I believe the Giro will be revealing its course later this month. That's correct, right? Yeah, uh, November 29th, I think, is the date I just saw my email from our friends at RCS Sport, the organizers. But as is the uh, as are the fun stories that tend to come out in the lead up to course announcements, we have local uh, local people on the ground in Italy saying that you know people have been scouting courses like Monte Zoncolan, mm. Mount Etna, Servinia, some of these big climbs. So uh, there are some thoughts out there that the 2018 Giro d'Italia may be another brute, which 
brings up the question again of like, do we think Chris Froome is going to race the Giro d'Italia? I mean, I feel like every time some gnarly Giro course gets announced, uh, the chances of Chris Froome racing that thing just go right out the door. Uh, Hoodie, I mean, do we think this could be the year that he does it? Honest honest assessment. Is is Chris Froome going to race the Giro? There were already some pretty good rumors at last, this past Giro 2017 that it was it was already in the works for this year that Froome would race the Giro. In fact, the rumor, this is from a, quite a good source inside Team Sky, that Froome's plan this year is to race the Giro Tour and the Welta. He's going to race all three. The that triple? Was the, yeah, that was the, that was the rumor. Ah. That would give him actually five, five grand tours in a row, which seems highly unlikely. However, I think the key to having Froome race the Giro this year is going to be having, of course, some time trial kilometers that be favorable to him, as well as have fewer stages in the deep north of, the, of northern uh, Italy. Because what they're afraid of is Froome getting sick in that last week up there, they go into Stelvio country up in the Dolomiti. It's cold, it's snowy, it's rainy, it's Andy Hampton weather. And that's what Sky wants to avoid. So if it's a, a Froome-friendly course, it's going to be more in the south and the middle with a lot of time trial. I don't buy it. I mean, listen, Froome, he has always said after winning the, the fourth tour that his goal is to get that fifth tour and to get into the five-win club in the tour. There's no way he's going to put that at risk by just taking a turn at the at the Giro, which to him is, I mean, yeah, it's a grand tour, but he's never really expressed that kind of avid interest in the Giro like he has in the Vuelta, for instance. It's just, I don't, it's not going to happen this year. I just don't see it happening. The only the only thing you can say is that the tour is starting a little later uh, because the, the Soccer World Cup, the football, hey, lads, but no. Come yeah, I mean, no that's, that's the argument is that uh, with the tour a week or so later this year, does that give these riders an extra few days, an extra week of recovery time? But guys, I'm seeing reports here of talking about like uh, a Finestre Sestriere stage. I mean, that's way up north. That's cold. That's rain. I mean, that's, you know, depending on what type of a winter we have, there's the potential for sickness. And, you know, we haven't seen the lineup for the Giro, but I mean, every year it's like there's there's a whole crop of new guys who are going to be aiming at it, trying to win stages and win the overall. So, yeah, I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm dubious of Chris Froome and his Giro ambitions this year. Perhaps sometime in the future, we'll be seeing Froome just load up on a belly full of spaghetti and go down there to Italy. I, uh, yeah, I want to see him race a Giro. I'm not saying I don't want to see yeah, him race a Giro. Of I just think it's just they're so singular in their focus on the on the Tour de France that, to me, it's they got to check that one off the list first. And he's he's still got a lot of good years left in him. We we all know that. And this tour route is a brute. I mean, with all the climbing, with the uh, crazy 65 kilometer uphill day with a million feet of climbing with Optuez, you know, this isn't exactly a tour route like last year where you could really pick and choose your battles to defend. It seems like a bit more wide open of a tour route. So I think if this were there were a year to try and do the devil. I don't know if this year's tour route is the one you want to be uh, monkeying around with. Um, okay, before we get to our segment on Hoodie going to the team camps, Spencer, we got to talk about this week's sponsor of the Villainies Podcast. We mentioned them at the top of the show. Health IQ, our great friends at Health IQ. 
Uh, they are the life insurance company that works with healthy people, cyclists, runners, vegans. And you know, Spencer, all of us, we, we cyclists, we're slaves to our uh, websites that chart our progress. Uh, websites like Map My Ride or the Strava. Perhaps you're familiar with Never the Strava. Never heard of it. So here's what you can do. If you are a Strava or Map My Ride or Garmin user, you can take screen grabs of your progress and the number of hours you ride a week, the number of miles you ride a week. And you can go over to Health IQ's website. They have a URL for yep, us, right? HealthIQ.com slash VeloNews. That's where you get your free quote, HealthIQ.com slash VeloNews. Real easy. So you submit these images of all the progress that you've done. Maybe with if you're Spencer, you submit some images of riding around dressed like Zorro in last yeah, week's... There you uh, go cross race are you guaranteed to get koms if you do this fred i cannot guarantee koms come on i know i can only guarantee something a little bit more valuable which is a great quote on life insurance so thank you to health iq back to the show okay guys it's cold it's snowy i had to chip ice off of my Gosh darn windshield this morning. Oh, hey. I know. Watch the language. Really upset here. So, obviously, it's a perfect time of the year to talk about riding your bike in warmer climates. Andrew Hood, you went to a warmer climate than Boulder, Colorado this past week. You went to Pamplona. You hung out with uh, Unzue and the movie star boys. Let's get to it. How would you describe the mood around the Movistar camp? And what exactly was going on with this camp? Yeah, it's an annual get-together that Movistar has been doing for years now. Uh, as I said earlier, Inzue lives around there. That's where the whole Benesto franchise was born back in the 70s and 80s. And Delgado and Ninin Duran came up through the system. And it's a tradition they have. And then uh, on, the, on the last day, the Friday, they have the... The journalists come in, and then we have a nice little get-together after all the interviews with some nice red wine and some good Spanish chorizo, and everyone leaves happy and, you know, ready to go into the off-season. And, uh, you know, the big buzz this year, of course, is the arrival of Mikel Landa. And so a lot of expectations about what was really going on behind the scenes there between Nairo and Mikel, because it was really the first time that they said they had a chance to really sit down and kind of talk uh, mano a mano to have a nice little just chat because even they said uh, before this past week they really hadn't even spoken that much on the peloton you'd imagine that during the course of a racing career you might sometimes have conversations with riders but sometimes you, you won't and i think uh landa and quintana never really had that much of a relationship obviously on different teams and rivals so they said they had they had like this little tradition there at the team where uh they have a a, a dinner and all the new riders uh, kind of get uh, hazed a little bit. Ooh. So that's where that photo that photo came out, uh, the Spanish haze, you know. And the photo came out, we saw, I thought it was Halloween, but it, it was this hazing party where the Latin was dressed up like a, dressed up like a prisoner. Ah. <laughs> you saw that photo on Twitter. I did. And he had his, he had his sign there, you know, Freelanda, backslash Freelanda. So it kind of broke the ice. And it seems like, you know, right now, they kind of passed the peace pipe around up there in Pamplona and walked away this weekend and, and feeling pretty groovy about the whole situation. So you think Landa's the guy who has to pay for the drinks at the hotel bar when they're uh, hanging out after after a long day of work? Yeah, the new guy. The new guy gets stuck with a bill. Wait, 
You're talking about hazing. I mean, are we talking about like rolling up the wet towel in the shower room and like whipping them with it? Or are we talking about like, uh, I don't know, drawing stuff on their face with permanent marker? What kind of hazing is going on here? I want to know more about the hazing. Cycling hazing. Yeah, I, th- I think it was just more like a good-hearted uh, dinner where we had a, a few jokes. I think people had to stand up and do a little song and dance or tell a few jokes or oh. tell a funny story. And so that's how the Spanish do it. You know? and just, these guys are bike racers, man. <laughs> I think we did have some villainous hazing go on here. Yeah, we should have done that when you came on, Fred. I was here already. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Uh, <laughs> what um, who do you, who'd you get a chance to sit in with? What uh, what athletes did you get to uh, have a chat with? Yeah, I got a chance to talk to all the big guns uh, in Zue, Valverde, Quintana, Landa. Also spoke to uh, Bananito, you know, Carlos Betta. Spoke to a few of the DSs. Spoke to uh, the German rider there. Uh, spoke to the new... Poveda, the new uh, guy from from Argentina. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that was up five years on Fortinale, and he was the guy that got kicked out of the tour a couple years ago for taking a ride in a team car, <laughs> opposing team car, up the side of the mountain there for like a hundred meters. He told me that story; it was kind of funny. Nice, but uh, but it's uh, it's a it's a real kind of family feeling there at, at Movistar. I know riders have come through that program feel like that. It's probably like the closest knit team, especially this year. Um, it feels like that it's more Spanish than ever. A few of the guys that kind of uh, spoke English there, guys like Rory Sutherland and uh, Alex Dowsett, they're kind of gone. So everyone there now really, for the most part, is Spanish or you know, Colombian Spanish speaking. So Carlos Betancourt, he, uh, is he still going to aim for the Hammer Series again this year? Big big goal of the year for him? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, uh, <clears throat> he's trying to get his career back on track. I mean, he, he of course... Had some weight problems. He had some buffet problems, I believe. Yeah, some buffet problems. Uh, I think he had some psychological problems, too. He's always kind of hesitant to talk about it. But I think it was just, you know, had a lot of success early in his career and kind of went to his head maybe. He wasn't doing the work, got sick, went home to mama, got fat, had some trouble losing that weight again. And... uh, so, but he seems like he, he he's thin. He's looking racer thin. So that's a huge part for him. And this this whole past season for him was getting his confidence back. And next year he's hoping to uh, get some results. What uh, what was your sense of the motivation and inspiration level of our good friend Alejandro Valverde? I mean, I saw a piece on the site you put together today. Sounds like uh, Ale Jet is recovered and ready to go, ready to win every single, uh, every other race of the world tour like he did last year before breaking his kneecap. Yeah, he was sounding very optimistic about his prospects coming up for next season. He said that when he initially crashed, he he looked down and he saw all the reactions of the people around him looking at his knee. And once he got a look at his upper kind of knee tibia, tibia area there, he said he could see the bone. He thought his career was over ah, on the spot. Gross. Yeah, gross. Yeah. gross. When you see that, see that white bone sticking out, it's never good for a bike rider. Yeah, you'll never eat Jambon ag- again. Yeah. Yeah, but he says his numbers are as strong as they were before his crash. He's already ridden 6,000 kilometers, and he's ready to race. Jesus, 6,000? Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, since the crash, yeah, since July. So. Ooh, watch out. Watch I'm out. Calling, though, I'm everyone. calling it calling it right now. He's going to win Wulunga Hill. Yeah. Throw down under, just like he did after his doping ban. Just come storming back. I'm calling it right now. Ardennes every race, Valverde. Uh, well, it's good to have him back in our lives. And then the big elephant in the room, what was your sense of the Quintana 
Landa relationship. I mean, were these guys like patting each other on the back, hugging, giving high fives, giving the like uh, the Top Gun volleyball high five, you Ooh, know, like up that. top, yeah. down low. Let's I mean, are they giving each other up tops, down lows? Can we do that in the office? No, Fred? we can't, Spencer. Why not? Yeah, maybe oh, work a little harder. Fine. I mean, what, what's your yeah, sense yeah. of the relationship there? Yeah, I don't see Nairo high five and the boys after. Well, he'd have to uh, jump. You know. He'd have to like hop up on a step stool in order to <laughs> high five. Yeah, Nairo's a pretty serious guy most of the time. I think that um, I think that uh, Inzue has just tried to get everybody at the same table and said, "Okay, um, you know, let's make this work." What he did do is he's allowing all the riders to choose their own calendars, not the whole team, of course, but these big main guys. They're all choosing the races they want to race. Oop, letting, so, letting the inmates run the prison, not a great idea, I'd say. Yeah, that's kind of a uh, player's coach move, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, yeah, you guys don't have to train this month. You got uh, you choose your own calendar. Yeah. Wait a mm. second. So what happens if all three of those guys choose the Tour de France hoodie? What the heck happens then? Well, basically they have. Basically. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> what a shocker. <laughs> And uh, basically, that they might just spring that on the tour and just bring all three of those guys there. I mean, one reason why they might do that is that they're very fearful of the cobblestone stage. They think that the Tour de France is have two starting points this year. The first one in, uh, in Vaughn, where it starts there on the Atlantic coast, and the second one in the Robay Velodrome. Because whoever can get through the cobble, because that, those are hard cobbles this year, man. That, that's... Of the, of the recent edition of the Cobbles, man, this year is brutal. Yeah, Spencer, in our Vela News show, you likened it to Quintana being potentially eaten by a Sarlacc. Yeah, like in Star Wars. Star Wars fans yep, will know exactly what that is. Sucked into the cobblestones and we'll never see him again. A French or maybe like a, a Belgian Sarlacc? The, the soci- well, yeah, the society that repairs those will come by some years later to yeah. replace certain stones and they'll pull up one stone and they'll find a little like... Diodora Movistar shoe or something. Oh, that would be sad. Uh, I think that's wise planning on their part because, as we all know, uh, spindly little Spanish climbers, cobblestones, don't always go together. I remember always watching Robay and Flanders back uh, like 10, 15 years ago and just cheering for the Euskatel guys. Just like, ah, come on, I, I tore Igor, whatever your name is. Like, good luck on those cobblestones. Um, so again, though, back to it, like all three guys focusing on the Tour de France, has Onzoi said anything about how he plans to create a hierarchy within the team for who's going to be the leader at the Tour? No, they haven't gotten that far yet. In fact, they said uh, everything is conditioned on what the Giro course is going to look like. Because the initial plan was for Landa to go to the Giro to race to win it. Because Landa, of course, hasn't won a Grand Tour yet. There's all this big hype around Landa. And that's what I think Nairo is pushing back against a little bit those weeks before. Kind of gave a couple of choice interviews saying, yeah, Landa is welcome to come to our team. But, you know, who's the uh, head honcho here? You know, so yo. Because he's won uh, the Giro, he's won the Welt, has been on the podium two or three times. And Landa, once on a Giro podium, and just missed it by one second. He says that's really been haunting him this this autumn. He said that uh, after riding out of, out, of, uh, out of Paris this year, he goes, ah, one second, third, fourth, it doesn't really matter. Because he was just kind of satisfied with how his tour went. 
because now this has been gnawing at him all fall. It's like, man, I missed the podium by one second. The small little beast called Roman Bardet has been gnawing at him for defeating him by one second for that yeah, final Yeah, with podium that amazing spot. final time trial. What a great ride. Well, that's going to be an awesome story to watch throughout 2018. Um, listeners of the podcast, we will be revisiting this again and again and again as Landa Nairo Watch 2018 takes effect. So, Hoodie, you know, broadening out from that and the movie Star Camp, what's your sense of why teams have these camps now at the end of the season? You know, we've always had team camps go on January and February where these teams go to Mallorca or they go to the south of Spain and do their training, get the new kits, get on the new gear. But now it seems like there's some emphasis being placed on like a November, December mini camp. What, uh, what's going on there? What's the purpose of these camps? Yeah, I think it is a relatively new phenomenon. In fact, a lot of guys will tell you these camps that in November, there's quite a few t- teams having them in early December. It's really the only time of the year where everyone is together at the same time because already with the World Tour starting in January, two out under racing already in South America, across Europe, that there's like this diaspora and teams are split up and no one sees each other. So it's the only time of the year really where the sport directors, all the writers, all the staff could come together, do kind of some basic things like take the team photos, get get the new jerseys fit, fitted, get get fit in the bike, talk about calendars, talk about scheduling, talk about who's gonna be doing what, talk about training programs. And it's it's just a reflection of how the sport has become so advanced and how much more planning is involved in the calendar. The, you know, back in the day the first race is okay. They never race in February, but it didn't get serious to really March, going into March, April, and the season was over by September. These days, they're racing from January all the way through October, all over the world, and and, it, and the sport's so much more international. So it's just a it's more of a, a planning process. It's about getting the guys together and really kind of just putting the new face on the on the season coming forward to the next racing season. Is this sort of like an early Christmas for these riders? Are they getting loaded up with all the new kit and gear and bikes and other fun stuff like that? Oh, yeah. They're definitely getting loaded up on all kinds of gear. So they're getting their little musette bags full of jerseys and socks and More stuff, More like a huh? duffel bag, probably. Yeah. yeah. A lot of kit. Those guys get a lot of kit. So all, the, all the goodies are uh, handed out. I think uh, maybe the bikes might not come around until uh, the December camps, but I know they're, they're doing some bike fitting already. Some of the TT bikes are getting set up. Uh, mainly, it's, it's uh, you know, early Christmas, exactly. So... The funny thing is to me about this, though, is that all of these riders are still under contract. So the new hires, for example, are required to still be in the old team kits and ride the old team bike in public appearances. So that means training rides, if they're ever going to have their picture taken, which these are the camps that always seem to produce those funny team rides where it's like, hey, it's movie star and like some guys from uh, Trek and three guys from uh, Katusha on a ride. And uh, I guess that's just the way it is because that's part of the contract. I mean, have you ever heard any stories of what happens to these guys if they would to, they were to throw on the new team kit and have their picture taken? Are there are there repercussions for that? Uh, I don't. You know, I think you'd have to be like a guy like Tinkoff really to to dig deep into the contract clause and and try to you know do somebody over for riding in the wrong bike or riding on the wrong the wrong jersey, but. It, it, even here at this camp on last weekend, it was like 
no pictures of Landa in the Movistar kit. In fact, he was just wearing his street clothes. And, he, and when he, we're on the bikes, he has to ride, obligated, contractually obligated to ride in his Sky jersey until December 31st. And a lot of people say that's a ridiculous rule. You know, have have these contracts go through October 31st, have the new ones start November 1st, so that, you know, the teams can transition their riders because none of the old riders were here. They're all their new teams anyway. So it is kind of this hodgepodge of these kind of odd jerseys and bikes. Together. Last question for you on these team camps and and the late season ones. What kind of mileage are they doing? I mean, are there actual performance goals of these camps? Are they going on like five, six hour big base mile rides? Or is it more for, like you said, camaraderie, team building, that type? Uh, uh, do they have specific training goals around these camps? I think it really depends on who you're talking about. I mean, the, the classics riders, I mean, for sure by next month, I think this, this camp actually Movistar last week, I'm not even sure they even rode the bike as a team. They were there for just a few days. It was kind of a more of an informal get together, uh, but I know, I know by December though, they were definitely riding their bike all day and it just depends, you know, you'll like when I go to the BMC camp in about two or three weeks, you know, Van Evermatt's doing a, you know, four or five hour ride. Whereas Richie Port might just go out for two hours. I want to actually have the last question, Fred. Can I do that? Fine. Can I, can I swoop your last question? I don't know. There might be a little hazing. Oh, you want to haze me? Mm, could be a HR violation. Um, Hoodie, so that what you just said there made me, gave me this idea of a question is difference between like BMC and Movistar camps, for instance. What's the difference in the vibe? Is it is it something that really reflects the personality of the team? Yeah, I think that... Uh you could, you could, as you might guess, the the BMC camp is very well organized, very punctual. It just has that Swiss, Swiss kind of American vibe there. Everything's real on time, clockwork. Okay, twelve o'clock lunch. You know, eight, ride it, roll out eight thirty, nine o'clock for the ride. Whereas the Spanish, it's definitely a little more relaxed. The movie star vibe, and guys are kind of just strolling in and out. But again, this is early days, so they're not hammering the training miles right now but uh you get that feeling you know it's like uh, every team has its vibe you go to some team camps or when you see some of these teams at uh, the team hotels and the dinner table it's like man i don't want to be on that team no one's too happy around the dinner table or that on those squads man yeah we talked about how like katusha for example is trying to boost its fun factor by hiring some fun guys on yeah they went year. to charm school yeah they're charming their way up. Yeah. Uh, well, if you are a world tour rider at a team camp, uh, please email Spencer and tell us all about your experience. Yeah, I want some photos of all your gear, too. I want to see all the good stuff. Yeah, yeah. all the bags full of stuff. And if you're not, uh, just keep listening to the podcast because we're going to bring it on home with a couple segments this week. The first segment... Uh, I believe is going to be a new one. Yeah, we came up with a new one this week. We're yeah. going to. This is just sort of a little bit of a quick hit uh, assessment of the news, of the cycling news of the week, or anything for that matter. We call it off the front, off the back. And off the front, of course, means that someone's doing well or this topic is trending. Everyone's talking about it. Yeah. Off the back is something that's not doing so hot this week. Kind of not, yeah, it's it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory. Do you want to start, Fred? Sure, okay. Uh, I'm going to start with off the back. So off the back this week, I got to say, Wout van Aert. Ooh. He skipped Shots fired. the uh, European Championships because his season has been such a disappointment that he went to, I believe, Spain to go do a 10-day block 
of training. He has been so disappointing through the first half of the cyclocross season that he had to like skip a big race and go train and try to get his head back in it. I was reading some comments from his coach saying, you know, the numbers are there. The training was there. Maybe he got a little fouled up because of his road commitments, but the, it's like the head, the head and the emotion isn't there. Hmm. So I feel for the guy, man. I'm a big Walt Van Aert fan. I love his little uh, discoloration in his hair up front. I like his name. I like those uh, those funny commercials he did for our good friends at SRAM. Walt Van Aert, man, you're off the back, but I hope you get off the front. Hmm. Long season. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. Uh, off the front, I have ice chippers because when your window freezes, man, you need a freaking ice chipper. Yeah. I didn't have one this morning. Very relatable. I had to uh, ad hoc ice chipper with just some like bike parts that I had in my car. Okay. I know. Yeah. Credit card. Did you break your credit card? No, not this time. I have used, have you ever time. used this? You've done it before. Have you ever used a CD case back in the days of compact discs? What is that? A CD case. Never you could use it. it to chip ice. Yeah. yeah. Cool so that's story. my off the front, off the back. Old school car trick. Yeah. yeah. All right, Spencer, how about you? You got an off the front, off the back? Yes. My off the front is Jasmine Mueller who rode 100 and f- or she rode more than that. She rode 433.2 miles in the 24-hour championship. There's some road bike 24-hour race championship. She rode 433.2 miles. That's ridiculous. That sounds awful. So she was way off the front, hundreds of miles off the front. My off the back, I think, is going to be my career as a cross-country runner. Okay. Because at the Derby City, I had to run around to cover different parts of the course and see what the riders were doing and do a little Facebook Live and all this. And I'm really sore now. And uh, I don't think uh, I don't don't think I can hack it as a runner, which is good because I don't want to run. As we all know, this is the Vel News podcast. Never run. That's Mm. if you take one thing away from the the mission statement of the Vel News podcast. (laughs) Never go on a run. But you're yeah, you break that rule regularly. It's true. All right, hoodie. What do you got? You got an off the front, off the back. We're talking camps. We're talking cross. There's all sorts of stuff going on. What do you got? The front is, uh, I would say, uh, Swain Tuft, our buddy Swain Tuft, just gave, gave birth to his first child. I nice. was talking to him last week, and uh, just gave, his wife gave birth to uh, a fun, uh, I think a 16-pound baby boy named uh, Gunner. <laughs> Sixty. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking about the weight. Come on. But you know, I can imagine a burly Canadian mountain child. You know, comes out of the womb there, and, and so Swain, new father, very happy. About oh, that's that. awesome! That is awesome. Was the kid actually named Gunnar? Gunnar. Yeah. That's a great Gunnar. bike racing name. It is Gunnar Shogren. Yeah, yeah. Noted bike badass. Congrats uh, to the Swain Tough family. Yeah, very happy for them. How about off the back? Yeah. Well, off the bat, guys, I have to say uh, I was doing some cleaning, came upon an old to-do list uh, a couple of days ago. On that list from 2015 was, A, clean the man cave. It took me two years to do that. B, clean the chain on my road bike. And then C, was to buy Bitcoin. I was ahead of the Bitcoin phenomenon. I could have bought in at 300 a Bitcoin. Now it's over 7,000, man. Hoodie could ah, <laughs> Oh, man. I'm way off the bat. But what about the chain, though? Yeah. <laughs> the chain's still dirty. Oh, come on, hoodie. That's an easy one. Dirty chain, no Bitcoin. That is off the back for sure. Well, we'll come back with some more off the fronts, off the backs throughout the year. Yeah, we'll keep rolling those out. Uh, all right, guys. This is it. It's time for the podium. Yep, the weekly podium. Mm-hmm. And as we've been doing for a while now, we pick our three favorites for a given category. 
throw them up on Twitter and have you guys vote on them. Let us know if you think they're any good, who had the best one. Uh, the first time around, I made a big mistake in adding the option on that voting poll of being just, they're all idiots. Yeah. And that one won by quite oh, a bit. Oh, yeah, that, one, so I, that I, one's off the front yeah, by a lot. That's way off front. I stopped doing that after that time, but maybe I'll bring it back if everyone behaves themselves. But uh, for now, uh, let's get into this podium. What do we have for this week, Fred? So, since Cyclocross is on the mind, and since our good pal Matthew Vanderpoel is just crushing everyone, and Vander is such a, just a great Cyclocross name, we would go uh, the 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 podium this year uh, this year the podium this week van names hmm. cyclist names that have van in it so many amazing vans over the years to uh, look for good van names I went to like Belgian National Road Race Championships archives I I scoured the internet wow yeah it's busy right. busy day of Wikipedia search so who wants to lead us off I think uh, I think hoodie should start all right hoodie. Well, I went first last time, and still everybody's thunder. So I can pass the buck to you, Spencer. No, let's have Fred go first. Okay. So in third place, I... Oh, man. I have uh, (laughs) Jürgen Van Dane Arsen. That is Jürgen Van Dane Arsen. He finished 12th place in the Junior National Cyclocross Championships of the Netherlands this past year. (laughs) Wow, good one. Really good one. Uh, Okay. Second place, I have... Odd Van Den Hook, A A D Odd Van Den Hook. That's a cool name. And he was DFL at the 1976 Tour de France, the Lantern Rouge, the last place. Nice. And uh, number one, I have Boy Van Poppel because it just make that makes me laugh every time I say it. <laughs> boy Van Poppel, just great name. Boy, hey what boy, a great name. Boy, boy as a first name is just it just yeah. gives me the giggles. It's uh, the fountain of youth. It's tr- oh, okay. All right. Okay, hoodie. All right, I, I dug into, uh, I did a little Wikipediaing myself, but uh, stick to the more traditional names. Uh, my favorite names with Van are Lucien Van Eth, mm. the last Belgian to uh, win the Tour de France 1976. Uh, number two, Frank Vandenbroek. Uh, of course, the late great Belgian rider of the Ebo era died in 2009 of a pulmonary uh, some pulmonary disease. I think he's the Strava <laughs> KOM holder for Every single Berg along uh, Liège, Bastogne, Liège. He must be. Yeah. He must be. And my top uh, van name is Stin Vandenberg, ah, whom is Stein. Uh, uh, Stein, Stein, who's a nice, who's a good buddy of uh, Tom Bonin's. Two meters tall, the young fella. Kind of a wild man on, on and off the bike. He's a cool cat. He's my top van. Big, tall glass of water, that Steen Vandenberg. Always, there was a couple years there where he just ended up in every front group at the Cobble Classics and would get out-sprinted, but just big, giant guy. Bit of a bit of a Tom Bonin uh, doppelganger sometimes, mm, if they're true. really muddy and covered in dust. All right, uh, my podium for van names. All right, let's see here. I'm going to lead off with Giovanni Lombardi. There's Van in that name. And then, oh, you don't like this one. I am frowning. I'm if zigging the good, when you, the I'm good z- listeners could see me frowning. I'm zigging when you zag. So hard at Spencer right now. Cadell Evans. And then Ivan Basso. There you go. They all have Van in the name. <laughs> hey, you're the one who picked the junior Dutch champion whatever from... 20 yeah, years ago or dude, something. Dude, you should have gone on that page. There were so many amazing van names. I had I had Cheater Podium, full-on mountain bike podium. All How right. about this guy? Rule Van Sint Martensdijk. 
Rule van St. Martin's Dyke. Uh, Yup van der Piet. Great name. You, you, you want to do a mountain bike podium? We can give you a mountain bike podium. No, I was just, I was going to give you some vans. I was donating my vans. Wow, that's kind. Well, uh... Listeners of the Velvet Podcast, we would um, love you to send questions to us because we're going to be fielding more questions as the podcast rolls into the fall and the winter. And as always, the Cat 3 questions as well. Yeah, ask a Cat 3. Ask tweet, a Cat 3. Ask Cat 3s. We skipped it this week, but we'll bring it back. Yeah, and the uh, email address there, webletters at competitorgroup.com. Any and all questions about cycling and then our Ask a Cat 3 questions as well. Or general complaints. That's usually what yeah, I get Yeah, personal there. attacks, yeah. that type of stuff. It's nice. Or if you are a pro cyclist whose name ends in van... You know, we didn't even mention Taco Vanderwalla. Vanderhorn. Taco Vanderhorn. Va- Taco Vanderhorn. Yeah. I mean, just a total... He's just like a spirit animal of hey, the Bell News podcast. You could have put him on your list. Uh, I thought someone else would. Well, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us. For Spencer Paulison and for Andrew Hood, I am Fred Dreyer. Thanks for listening to another week of the Bell News podcast. We very much enjoy doing this for you. So we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on bellanews.com. Subscribe to the Bell News podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. And while you're there, please, please, please leave us a comment and a rating. Become a fan of Bell News on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash News. The Bell News podcast is produced by Bell News, which is owned by Pocket Outdoor Media. The thoughts and opinions expressed on the Bell News podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo blowout playing the Bernard Purdy Classic Soul Drums. Mm-hmm.